Hello, everyone. If you're hearing this, that means you've tuned in to the NetSuite podcast. So thanks for joining us. I'm Megan O'Brien, the co-host of this podcast. In this episode, we'll sit down with Oracle NetSuite's very own Tom Kelly. He's a director of product marketing, management, and analyst relations here at NetSuite, and an absolute guru on everything CFO related as a past CFO and CIO himself. We talk about the evolution of the CFO and the finance team, needed skills going forward, and even incorporate a little baseball into the mix. This episode is gonna knock it out of the park, so stay tuned. You're listening to the NetSuite Podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite, why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. We'll also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Megan. So how are you doing? Doing well. I, uh, I'm based in Minnesota and it's been 90 degrees the whole week. So uh, we enjoy out of the year where we're able to wear shorts and t-shirts and then uh, back to probably blizzard conditions next week. We'll see. I was going to say, I didn't even know that Minnesota got warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, feels that way. <laughs> well, I'm up in the mountains of Colorado and we actually are just getting our first warm week, um, but we still have snow up on the mountains. So slowly but surely we're getting there. Cool. Yeah, our mountains here are about, we call them hills. yeah i'm originally from chicago so i get that (laughs) well i mean why don't we just go ahead and dive right in sounds good so to start off can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role at netsuite uh sure um so i'm a uh i guess a recovering cpa i uh Worked at uh, KPMG many years ago in New York City. Uh, from there, uh, went into a company called PepsiCo. Uh, did a lot of finance work there and all kind of through the financial ranks. From there, I went into other organizations and I've played the role of CFO and CIO at the same time, uh, both large and small companies. So I've had probably a very diverse uh, experience in terms of all the different types of you know businesses that are out there. Uh, joined Oracle NetSuite seven years ago now, I think it was. I had my own business that uh, was really focused on, I think initially CXO type services. It quickly morphed into bringing companies into the cloud. Uh, I can remember one company, we, we literally had a burial for the uh, telephony server once we got everything <laughs> into the cloud. So uh, that was a big thing. Uh, I was really, really enjoyed it. And uh, so now what I'm doing here at Oracle NetSuite is kind of taking that, you know, financial experience, um, CIO from, you know, the user standpoint, and kind of combining that with, you know, the strategy and the the functionality that we bring to market, where my focus is primarily on global cloud financials, but I do a few other things in, in my spare time as well. Now, it seems that we are both big four graduates. I uh, worked at Deloitte initially. Ah, yeah, yes. Uh, they're a good company. They're not as good as KPMG, but- uh, uh, We I'll, could I'll debate. That's fine. 
But that's a, it's just an absolutely fascinating career trajectory. I feel like having someone with both that CFO and CIO experience is rare. Can you kind of delve into how that informs your role now? With Oracle NetSuite, I think what it really lets me do is, you know, I guess it's the the word is empathy. I can uh, put myself in the shoes of our customer, primarily, you know, one of our key customers being the CFO or the financial and um, accounting professionals, if you will. So understanding perhaps what they're up against, maybe for lack of a better term. Um, And this isn't just from a standpoint of, you know, you want to put a new system in, but it's also from a standpoint of, what works for an organization, what works for its people. Because as much as we might like to think, you know, everything's the same. I'm a controller here. I'll be a controller there. Yeah, there's the foundational aspects of it that you need to have and all. But you really, uh, you know, in this day and age, I'm sure we'll talk about it here as we get into things. You really have to have a business perspective. Um, you know, it's it's one thing um, to say, you know, <laughs> If somebody tells you, you know, why, why is our revenue up? And if your answer is, well, because we sold more, um, that's, you know, probably 100% true, but it's really not very uh, intuitive or actionable, I think, for the organization. So, you know, you really have to play the role of being able to maintain control across an organization, but at the same time, um, be able to provide insight and acumen to help with, you know, driving the business in whatever direction you use. And with that background, I think you have great insight into the evolution of the CFO role. How have you seen it evolve over your career? Uh, Well, you know, so I'll date myself here. Um, (laughs) I started with uh, my, it was actually the big eight, Megan, back when I started. So there's been a little consolidation (laughs) since those days, but I can even remember back in the late 80s, there was this, um, you'd see these articles, you know, uh, CFOs need to be a strategic business partner. And, you know, that that was very easy to say back then, right? And my comment about you need to be a business person, it's a whole different thing, you know, in my estimation, to really be able to handle um, everything that's being asked to CFOs today. And when I, uh, let's just be clear, when I use the word CFO, read into that, you know, financial professionals, give you controller, senior analyst, whatever it might be. But organizations are asking you to do um, is really almost two full-time jobs. You've got, you know, what I like to call uh, counting the beans, the control side of the shop, which is in, you know, really a uh, probably an eight hour a day or more job. And then they also want you to grow the beans. And so that's probably another eight hour a day job. Or back uh, in my days uh, at Pepsi, we used to refer to that side of the uh, organization as the puzzle palace, where you'd be putting numbers together, you know, in the wizardry of uh, what businesses you should be going after, what you need to price your product at. But the sad thing about this, you know, my estimation is I don't think financial professionals are really given the credit they deserve because you're really actually holding down two full-time jobs. And unfortunately, you know, the Hollywood aspect of it is going to be that, you know, the puzzle pilot, uh, puzzle palace side of the shop where uh, you're, you know, coming up with great insight and, you know, ideas for an organization but on that other side, you know, the control aspects, whether it's, you know, ransomware, getting an employee's paycheck accurate or whatever, um, like, I, you know, I, I joke around. I said, I remember in my days at a 200-person company where uh, I would get 199 paychecks right and I'd get one wrong. 
there'd be, you know, 199 people waiting outside my office when I came in the next day to congratulate me for getting their paycheck right. And the reality mm -hmm. is, uh, no, there'd be the one person that I made the mistake on their, their paycheck. And the same is true of the controls. You know, you, we see stuff, you know, almost daily about how things break down and what happens. And so, you know, in that, in that regard, um, nobody cares about that control side of the shop until something goes wrong. And particularly in these days, when we talk about how the job has changed, obviously technology has improved since the late eighties, I'd like to think. Um, and so there are capabilities and features now, I think that really enable people if, if you make the right choices, cause there's, you can choose bad technology as well as good, but if you make smart, well-informed decisions on the vehicles you're going to use and how to do things, I think it really does enable you to, uh, you know, really do two full-time jobs in perhaps an eight-hour day or let's say 10 hours, because if you're in finance and accounting, we always work harder than the rest of the organization. Speaking of working harder, I've heard you present before, and one of the interesting concepts that I've heard you bring up is this idea of the Vitruvian CFO. Can you explain that? I I can. Uh, so I think the if you um, I think it was Leonardo da Vinci, like uh, back in the 15th century, he he came up with this diagram, right? And it, it of the Vitruvian man. You, know, you we've probably all seen it. It's the you know man standing up, and it's you know got the the circles and everything. And the idea behind it is that. Um, he intended it to um, kind of have the idea of proportion. And um, it was in his estimation or in what he would talk about, it, it was part work and it was, uh, you know, part science, part mathematical. It was all these different things in this diagram. And what it was conveying is that everything connects to everything else. And so, you know, here, here's the uh, gratuitous plug. But when I think about NetSuite, and, you know, back in the day when I was was a CFO or I had my own company, finally having a vehicle that I was able to literally, as our marketing would say, run our entire business on one platform, front office, the back office and everything in between. And if you do it well and you can figure it well and you set it up right, it can be extremely impactful in terms of how you do your job, let alone how others in the, in the organization are interacting with the system. But now you've got this real-time information and you're connected to everything. Um, you're connected to the front and back office and everything that's going on. So you have the ability to control things because of how you're going to configure stuff. So, you know, one example I talk about is revenue recognition. You can configure the system based on whatever your requirements are to recognize revenue in accordance with your business, your contracts. So you can, you know, the puzzle, the control side of the shop is taken care of, right? Just by using the system. Then secondarily, you can take that information and you can analyze it and look at it and come up with inferences and provide direction to the organization on how maybe we should be doing things. What should we be doing more of? What should we be doing less of? And so those two things together combined on you know, this technology platform, um, as far as the, you know, the Vitruvian CFO concept, if you will, I think it's technically, in my estimation, it's it's... Not that I think the founders of NetSuite had that in mind when they started, but you know, come forward to the 21st century here today. I think if uh, I'd like to think if Leonardo was a was a controller or a CFO, that he would uh, he'd put NetSuite in whatever business, or I guess in his his case, he'd probably be more like Elon Musk, right? He'd probably have ten different businesses that are 
you know, at the cutting edge of just about everything. And, uh, you know, he'd be, uh, Leonardo would be leveraging NetSuite to the furthest, furthest extent possible. I could see him being a very loyal customer. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so you've also, I've heard you refer to the CFO as a scorekeeper in the past. What does that refer to? Yeah, this is something that, you know, over the years, um, I, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunately, I've had a lot of experience with. Um, so, you know, the the CFO is a scorekeeper, right? You're supposed to keep score. You're supposed to provide back, you know, what's happening in the game at any point in time. Um, and sometimes that's done well. And sometimes it's not, you know, gone particularly well because, you know, you're either you don't have the time to interpret what's happening with the data uh, or, you know, you probably just haven't flexed that muscle or worked at it. Um so, you know, when I talk about scorekeeper, I think what it really comes down to is measurements. You know, how do you measure things, KPIs, whatever. Uh, one of the jokes I tell is I, I have this picture of there's three people standing in front of a T-Rex skeleton. And, you know, it's basically the museum guide and these two people that are being taken through the museum. And the, the museum guide tells these two gentlemen, he goes, this T-Rex skeleton is 68 million and four years old. And the look on the man's face is like, wow, you know. The yes, tour guide is, hey, that's really accurate. How do you know that? And the tour guide says, well, when they hired me four years ago, um, you know, I'll be here all week, folks. Uh, but the point I want to make about that mm -hmm. is, you know, there's a, I guess there's a, you know, there comes a, you know, diminishing law of returns when we talk about accuracy. And there also, you know, becomes this need to really understand what's driving certain aspects of an organization. So when you think about measurements, what I usually tell people is, I think the best thing they can do is go and read. There's these books by uh, called Freakonomics. I think there's two of them. And it gives you very interesting um, perspectives on what's really the outcome of certain situations, like what's driving certain aspects or certain things that have happened in society. And you find out that, you know, what that driver is, is completely probably, you know, opposite to what you would assume it would be. And so when we're looking at a company, I don't want to argue that, you know, we can't come up with our what cash flow is. I mean, that, you know, that's important. We need to do that. But to the to a large degree, you know, systems like NetSuite, you can mechanize that. It's pretty easy. But when you get to really trying to influence employee behavior, where you really want them to focus on certain things that are going to drive a desired result. Great example I'll use my days was a while back at Pepsi. Um, we had, they still do uh, several bottling operations around the U.S., and corporate would um, negotiate the workers' comp premium. They would get a number. Let's just say for mathematical reasons, you know, let's say the number was a million dollars and you had 10 bottling operations, or they divide a million by 10 and everybody has $100,000 they have to cover. Well, that really is not what drove workers' compensation premiums. What drove that were the number of claims. And when you started to dig into this, we, this group I was with, we found out that the key driver was what you would call day's work lost, meaning if you have a, a route truck driver, these are, you know, Pepsi trucks and people are slinging these heavy um, cases of, you know, soft drinks, if you will, and they could hurt their back. And the thing was to get that individual back to work as soon as possible and not in a disingenuous way, you know, make sure the person's going to be healthy and, and is recovered but just to have a whole program around it, letting the employee know you care about them, care about their family, get dinner for the family maybe because you know maybe the, uh, the the caregiver has to you know work a different job, and so just to be able to understand what's happening with the employee, but to get that employee back to work, 
it significantly reduced the premiums over time to the point where they wouldn't send out the dollar amount anymore. They would just want the locations to manage the number of days work lost. So that's what they would track. And the correlation was, you know, the better, uh, the, the lower that number was, the lower the overall premium was for the company. And so those locations that did a better job of it obviously got rewarded better than those that didn't. So we talk about scorekeeper. You know, my advice to anybody is don't, you know, don't just take numbers off the wall or go into Google. What are the top 10 KPIs to, you know, to target it all, you know, it changes. Could understand what's going on in, in your industry, in your marketplace, with your with your company, how you, you know, your distribution channels work. There's a whole bunch of things you need to be looking at. And I always encourage people to, you know, make it a study, make it an exercise, make it exciting to really try and figure out what the root cause of, you know, any aspect of the balance sheet or income statement might be. So what skills were important to the CFO role before and what skills are important now? Um, <laughs> I don't know if the skills really, I think the ones that were very successful, maybe in the days where you didn't have the technology you could leverage, I think the skill set is still the same, meaning you have to have a very good, you know, control shop side acumen. You got to make sure that you're safeguarding the assets of the organization. And even in this day and age, you know, many CFOs have CIOs reporting into them. So making sure that you have a good handle on um, all things that require safeguarding, you know, whether it's IT and phishing uh, situations or ransomware, all the way to the payroll example I gave, or making sure you're recognizing revenue in accordance with um, FASB, or, you know, GAP or IFRS or whatever rule you have to adhere to. I mean, I think those skill sets are tried and true. It's almost like um, this is what people, I think, expect of a CFO. You know, it's almost like a, a given, you know, and, and frankly speaking, these skills are are not that easy. You know, it it, it takes acumen, it takes time, and it takes, uh, you know, practice. On the flip side, you know, what I would say, it's, it's like really knowing your stuff. And it's, you know, really trying to be able to boil down, you know, what are the key things people should be focusing on? Um, one of the things I like about NetSuite to digress for a second is, you know, the role-based aspect of it. So um, I can remember I used to implement it back in the day and the person in charge of accounts payable, the way I would position it to that person is I would tell them, you know, you need to be the uh, CEO of accounts payable. And that was always met with, you know, like I had one eye in my head, but, you know, it was like, no, you really need to be the CEO of accounts payable. Everything you need to be um, thinking about, responsible for, you could have it on a dashboard. So your role is, you know, pretty much delivered to you in the way that you want to absorb it and act upon it. So when I talk about the CFOs in this regard, um, it's almost, for lack of a better term, knowing your stuff. And so I'm gonna, I'm a big baseball fan, ex-player. Um, one of the things I do these days is I, I work with with pitchers, um, high school level on up to the pros, actually. And what we use, as you, I'm sure many people have heard, there's all these analytics. God knows um, you're going to have thousands of data points just from somebody pitching for three innings, everything from um, <clears throat> the velocity of the pitch, the spin rate of the pitch, the arm angle, where they stand on the mound, um, what their stride. I mean, you, I don't want to, but just imagine, and it just is exponential. Um, and then if <laughs> I, I think sometimes pitchers get a bad rap from the movie Bull, Bull Durham, where they, you know, indicate that the pitcher is not a very intelligent individual, but um I'll leave that up to the to the crowd here. But 
imagine taking all this information and trying to boil it down to maybe three things that you want that picture to focus on and knowing that I just said, there's like thousands of data points from just three innings of pitching. And you want that person to focus on three things. And if they focus on those three things, they should see a marked improvement in their performance. And, uh, you know, the same is true when I'm getting at here with business and the other side of what we need to do as financial people. So that skill set is having a data analytics acumen uh, to some degree. And, and by the way, uh, the CPA exam is now testing on that. So if you don't believe me, for those of you who don't have your CPA and are trying to strive for it, just be prepared. You're going to be tested on this. So the expectation is that you're going to have this skill set. And then to me, it's it's one thing to have the skill set, to have the idea and the understanding. It's a whole different thing to dig into, you know, the specific aspects of your company um, and to really understand what's going on and, you know, to some degree, boil it down to the three things you want people or a person to be focusing on so they can be successful in their role. And knowing that those, you know, the focus on those three items um, combine well the direction or the strategy of the company. And therefore, if they're focusing on their aspects and they're doing well, it's going to drive the company in the direction, you know, holistically that uh, senior management wants it to go. That's fantastic. I mean, I, it's interesting that the CPA exam updated to include that data analytics component. Uh, Because I think it's kind of that official confirmation that there's a real shift happening in that uh, industry. Oh yeah, and the other, you know, as we we're talking about technology here, that's so they they added two. I think it's going to be in the next CPA exam now, but the uh, having a understanding of information technology. So as CPA exam, you're going to be tested on two things. Uh, one being data analytics and the other being your uh, understanding of information technology. So, um, I mean, I don't want, if folks tuning in here don't want to believe two people who work for Oracle NetSuite, um, I can understand that. But uh, if the AICPA is now going to test you on it, I would argue that, you know, you probably need to have these skill sets going forward. Mm -hmm. And so it's one thing for like, you know, a bunch of Gen Z going through school, um, to learn data analytics and technology, not only are they kind of in that learning phase of their life, but they they pretty much grew up with a lot of this stuff. What about like uh, people already in the business field or perhaps already even a CFO? How can they learn more about topics like data analytics and technology? Huh. Uh, well, I mean, in this day and age, you could probably Google it and you could finally find probably find 10 sources, you know, to go and figure out what you're going to do. I think, you know, practicality is important. What I would probably suggest that they do is, you know, it's it's one thing to say, I want to understand data analytics. And like I, I was giving the example, baseball and, you know, businesses, those are two very different things. So no different than I mentioned earlier, you need to have this um, foundation if you're an accountant or whatever that you, you know, can handle the control side of the business or whatever. But I also think it's important that if we're going to say data analytics, you know, intuitively understanding what that is, but you could even go back to the example I gave with Pepsi, and that was in the 90s. I would argue that is kind of data analytics, maybe on a little bit of a uh, uh, a more uh, digestible scale and the, the number of the amount of information that we can compile today. But I think it's important that you should have an end uh, goal in mind. So if you're going to just do data analytics, yeah, reach out, try to figure out what are the right sources to look at, educate, 
myself on it. But then I think more importantly is applying that intuitively to what's happening in whatever situation you want it to be. It could be your personal finances. It could be if you're doing, you know, working with baseball pictures on the side, or it could literally be as the, you know, financial person at an organization, what are going to be the key measurements that uh, I want the organization to follow? And how am I going to factually back that up? You know, that's, I think, important. But I think, you know, your question about where do you go and figure this stuff out? Um, I mean, they even have major schools these days that are saying, you know, 10-week data analytics course, get your certificate from, you know, the University of Wisconsin or whatever. Um, so these opportunities, I think, are are out there. Um, I think in this day and age, it's just a matter of how you, how you fit it all in. But uh, I don't think there's uh, a scarcity of the... Uh, opportunity to, you know, build those muscles, if you will, on the data analytics side. Yeah, there are so many different educational resources online. It almost seems like more you have to narrow it down of what am I looking to accomplish and what's going to help me get there. Yeah. Yep. Now, the past, the past few months specifically have been pretty chaotic. There's high interest rates, there's inflation, there's a threat of recession, there's a banking crisis. How do you think these economic conditions impact the CFO role? Do you think it's harder now? Um, you know, I, I was reading something the other day. It was, you know, people need to understand that nothing's temporary. So that means when things are good, uh, it's temporary. When things are bad, it's temporary. You know, so it's, it's the idea of enjoying and learning from situations. So when you bring up recession or you know, whatever calamity might be out there for us, you know, pandemic, um, these are things that are going to happen and we have to react to them. Um, I don't know if this is ironic, but it almost seems that when these things do tend to uh, occur, the organization turns its eyes to the CFO. You know, because the CFO is supposed to be the one who's, I'm even keeled, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, emotionally, I'm not whips on one way or the other. So there's this, um, you know, like it or not, I think expectation of you, particularly when when times are tough, uh, that you're going to be the one to make the tough decisions or be part of making those tough decisions. So I don't know if it's if it's been different, um, but I would tell you it's, it's about, you know, having, I guess, uh, this thing I've been reading about called, it's called AQ adversity quotient. And uh, what it, it's a score that uh, really measures the person's ability to deal with adversities in their life, right? Business or other, otherwise. Um, <laughs> and also to digress. So as I said, I'm a baseball fan. What better? I would tell organizations to go out and hire ex-baseball players because obviously baseball is a sport where if you fail 70% of the time, you're considered very successful. But I digress. But when we look at adversity quotient, I think it's extremely important that particularly these days, as I think things do tend to happen quicker uh, and uh, perhaps more readily than maybe in the past, uh, but to be able to react to those things in a way that's going to show um, you know, a, a calming hand, for lack of a better term, on, on what is particularly happening with an organization. But secondarily, you know, it's it's one thing to act that way. It's another thing to actually have a plan and be able to um, dispel or talk to the organization about that plan and what we should do and how we're going to do it that I think really brings um, 
uh, a considerable amount of credibility to the role. Uh, but what I'm talking about, obviously, is I'm sure anybody would say is as they hear these words, it's very simple to say, oh, you need to, you know, have the ability to deal with adversities. You know, that's that's challenging. But I think as with anything, just having a knowledge about it, knowing about what your strengths and weaknesses are in that area, and then working on those weaknesses to become even better, I think really prepares you, you know, not only to do well as a financial person, CFO, but, you know, hopefully life. How did six out of the top seven best performing tech stocks gain visibility and control over financials, inventory, planning, and budgeting with NetSuite by Oracle? Answers at netsuite.com code, netsuite.com code. Now, based on the last several months, I mean, CFO can only do so much. Uh, what are companies kind of expecting from not only the CFO, but their finance teams? Um, I think, uh, as I would say, I think they expect a lot. You know, uh, my comment before about it's two full-time jobs and nobody really cares about the control side of the shop as long as nothing goes wrong and you don't have... Um, you don't get any credit for that, so to speak, right? So, you know, so as far as what organizations are, I guess the biggest thing we've heard is I think they expect organizations, particularly finance and accounting, to do more with less. And I think this is a catch-22 situation and personal experience tells me that it almost goes to what I was saying that people don't really understand what it takes to make sure that we're safeguarding assets at the highest level. And what I would argue is, you know, some financial people um, probably need to develop their marketing skills a little bit because, you know, it, it's uh, for all of us who sign up for benefits, our healthcare, you know, uh, if you're in the office and it's sign up time, you see, you know, hey, you know, healthcare benefits sign up is coming, benefit enrollment, or you're getting bombarded with the emails from the HR department. So there's this kind of marketing if you will, of a very mundane topic, but nonetheless, a necessary one and important for people to understand. I'd argue that accounting could do a very good job of, you know, putting on their marketing hat and trying to bring the Hollywood to that control side of the shop. So in the one hand, like you say, what are they expecting? I think what they're expecting of these uh, finance and accounting professionals to really to do a lot more. Um, the nice thing, I guess, or the fortunate thing at this day and age is the technology out there um, it, it, here's what I would say. If you have not, you know, tried to understand technology, even outside of data analytics, but just, um, you know, think about if you're going to go to the Home Depot and you're going to buy some stuff for home improvement. And when you go in there, there's a whole host of things you can pick from. Um, I think what my, you know, the CFO needs to have a mindset of is, you know, he or she needs to think that way as well when it comes to technology. Um, you know, as far as uh, software companies and availability of applications, there's a wealth of them out there. Um, I think it's important to be able to have the acumen to pick the right ones, like I had mentioned earlier, um, but to be able to do it in a way that you know you're going to be able to, quote unquote, do more with less. Um, but it's also, you know, there's a challenge there because I think most companies, the last thing they want to do is go through a new ERP implementation. But um, frankly speaking, I don't know how you get to the, quote unquote, promised land unless you really do that unless you really do have a very efficient um, and effective IT infrastructure. Um, and I don't just mean from a protection and a control standpoint, but also from a standpoint of 
people using the using the you know the technology and the applications to make sure that you know everybody's adding value to the data and thus you know allows you to quote unquote do more with less and hopefully uh, you've got NetSuite at the at the crux of it and it's being able to deliver you with information that um, in large regard is very actionable because of how you've configured and set up the system. But even more so, if you want to get into, you know, warehousing, you know, NetSuite warehouse and data analytics, it provides you with the ability to do that too. If you need to, uh, you know, dig deeper and try to understand other correlations to what's happening in the organization. One thing that we tend to track, um, we, NetSuite does a quarterly survey. Um, lately, it's been in partnership with the um, uh, CFO.com team. And one thing that we've asked over the past couple of quarters is what finance, well, what CFOs are looking for out of their finance team. And the latest results were super fascinating. Um, it showed an emphasis towards technology and leadership as opposed to more traditional skills that have been top ranked in the past, like accounting and project management. So I'm kind of curious to get your input on any particular skills or traits that you see as being very important in building a great finance team. So is that um, you surveyed finance executives or was it any... We we did. Uh, that was uh, all finance executives. Hmm. Um, well, I think that's interesting. Well, I guess it would go to, you know, the first part, what I've mentioned earlier, where there's kind of an expectation that you have the um, the foundation to do the quote unquote blocking and tackling. As far as the other things, I think um, there's, I have a few friends that work at some of the, you know, placement firms and and when I talk to them, sometimes they say that, oh, you know, all of our clients want the CFO to be an incredible public speaker. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what, what, why would they want that? Well, because they have to influence Wall Street or they have to influence uh, the boards or the investors. And it's important for them to be able to do it in a way that's, you know, fact-based and articulate and, you know, whatever word you want to put in there. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that that's what some of the current uh, folks in these roles are are maybe asking for, because I think in large regard, I don't know if some of these skills, when we talk about, you, know, you can call them soft skills or whatever, I don't know if some of those skills were things that have been practiced or learned, or frankly, that people are capable of doing, you know, depending upon where they're at in their career. So I guess what I would say of my insight in terms of the data is they're trying to, you know, build out their team, you know, so um, I'm trying, I have to use a baseball example, but if, you know, you're, your fielding is bad. Maybe you want to go out and get some people who have better fielding capability and shortstop in the outfield. Uh, I think that's what's happening right now and going on in finance because, you know, it's one thing to say to do to do more with less, uh, but it's a whole different thing to be able to say do more with less and look really good at how you're doing it. Um, you know, I think that's try. I think that's really kind of manifesting itself these days uh, when you know go back to the Vitruvian CFO. If you're going to be connected to everything, I think you need to be a very articulate individual in terms of how those connections work and understand if there's problems in some connections and be able to uh, comment on those in a way that, you know, provide, I think, confidence or whatever the audience is who's listening to you is that you're, you know, you have it under control. 
uh, and you're going to be able to either fix it or make it better or stop the problem. So it doesn't surprise me that that's some of the data that you're starting to find out. It's, I think, coming to roost in terms of um, when we look at finance and accounting teams and some of the skill set to uh, supplant, if you will, uh, in terms of current makeup of the staff. Yeah, and it's funny, it it shifts like every quarter. Um, so we'll we'll see what it comes to next time. But you know, it's it really seems to be very dependent on a couple of things, but I'm sure um also just where a company's at and where their finance team is at. So we've talked about CFOs and their finance teams having to do more with less, and there's high expectations here. Where can CFOs make the most impact in terms of advancing their finance team to fulfill company expectations? So we talk about like the finance team, I think, well, in this day and age, you know, we make the comment, um, they want to get resources in now, and this is what they're looking for. Well, I think the other elephant in the room we should talk about is, you know, what is the hiring market like out there? It's not easy, right? So finding good resources, I think, is very challenging these days. Um, so it's one thing to have a want and desire for some skill sets, and it's a whole different thing to actually secure those skill sets in your organization. Um, what I've always tried to do, and it kind of goes back to my marketing comment, I think what companies should be looking at is you know, having that empathy for the individual who is outside the organization. How do you attract them in? Well, you know, if you work for Oracle NetSuite, you get a pretty good, uh, you know, uh, thing in the marketplace. It's a well-run company. It's a well-respected company. It's a great place to work, et cetera. So um, you have that going for you, but not a lot of companies have that. So the next thing is, you know, if I'm a finance and accounting individual, what are the things that I'm going to be working on if I come into your organization? And I think that's where, you know, the marketing and the salesmanship needs to come in. But I also think it needs to, you know, it needs to be real. You know, you can't say that we're doing some cutting edge work. You have to actually have that ready for the individual when they come on board. So, uh, and even to keep existing staff, I think another thing that's going on is the turnover that is happening is people are getting bored. They feel like they're not adding value. I think as human beings, you wanna make sure or feel like you're you know, being appreciated and what you're doing is adding value. So I think the other thing is important is just to make sure, you know, I, I think, as I said, bean counter, you know, accountants are boring, you know, that's what you hear. I don't think that's a fair estimate of who we are and what we do. But I also think it's important to make sure that, you know, you're giving them exciting opportunities to do things where, you, you know, you still have to do some of the required things, if you will. But there should also be some exciting uh, initiatives going on. And it doesn't have to mean just, you know, implementing an ERP system. It could be looking at your measurement system. It could be implementing, you know, uh, a new type of an appraisal process. You know, it doesn't it doesn't just have to be one thing. It could be 100 things if you want to. Uh, in this day and age. But I think when you do that, I think you have the opportunity to really build a good, strong team and really have that team, you know, being vested in the organization because not only are they, I think, giving something to the organization, but I think they're getting a lot back in terms of the uh, the work product that they're exposed to and that they're working on. You know, uh, speaking of excitement, there's quite a popular topic lately uh, is ChatGPT. There's a lot of buzz around technologies like AI and machine learning and automation. Can you kind of give your opinion of how that 
might play a role in the finance department? Sure. Um, I think, it, you know, you bring up chat GPT and all. Um, my wife is a college professor and she uh, she teaches in humanities and she's had some students that literally have uh, written a paper or they didn't write the paper. It was chat GPT and there's, there's technology that they have to figure this out uh, on the other side. So you have that going on, but um, one of the folks at the, at the school where she teaches at actually felt that, you know, we should be leveraging these things not to, you know, write the entire paper for somebody, but to perhaps get you going to, you know, jettison or, you know, some ideas or whatever it might be that you want to, you know, drill into. Um, so I guess for me, I'm not adverse to using these, uh, using technology, obviously, as it comes in. I, I can remember, geez, I don't know if it's three years ago now or two years ago now, um, I was presenting to, uh, I think it was the CFO Leadership Council, and we were talking about blockchain and everybody is worried that their job was going away. And um, I asked, where's where's the blockchain ledger these days? I mean, I'm not, that's not to say that AI is a different bird and there's a lot to be said um, in terms of what it can do and and the concerns we have where I think I've heard it's going to end uh, society in the next 10 years. Uh, you know, but I, I would argue it's as with anything in life, when you think about some of these things, like um, uh, it's it's kind of how you harness it and what you do with it. I mean, I think it took like 30 or 40 years to figure out that, you know, gambling was an addiction and that, you know, that's in place or that cigarettes were bad for you. I could read, I've seen, uh, I don't remember, that would really be pain in my soul. There are these advertisers where doctor and MD talking about, you know, whatever the cigarette brand is, you know, it tastes great. Well, um, things have obviously changed. So I think when we're looking at situations where we have the advent of AI, the degree that we're seeing now in the media. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for it, but I think as with anything, there's the good and the bad, right? Even within the individual, there's good and bad. So in my estimation, what I would encourage all of my accounting and financial brethren is you should embrace it. You should learn about it. You should do whatever you can to understand it and leverage it, you know, for your benefit, for your company's benefit. Um, but then I almost think it comes down to on, on some level, um, free will to a degree. Are you use it for good or are you going to use it for bad? And I would argue that each one day can get up and we, you know, we make choices day in and day out. So to some degree, I think we have to look at it in that light. And, um, you know, hopefully it ends up, you know, not, you know, ending society in 10 years, but maybe 10 years from now, we have a cure for cancer and a host of other things that, you know, make the world a better place to be, if you will. I like that perspective on it. I think um, one thing that I keep hearing, and sometimes it does seem to depend on industry or the specific company, but what do you think the CFO's role is in adopting technology? Because you have some people that are like, they are in charge now. This is what they do. They need to be a part of this. And then you have other people who are like, maybe talk to the CIO every so often. Where, where's the balance? What do you think? Um, uh, for my personal opinion, and this isn't because I'm an employee of Oracle NetSuite, I think the CFO needs to be the cheerleader for technology in every nook and cranny of a business. Um uh, that that's one thing. I'm not suggesting that you're going to go out and have, you know, 50 different applications. I'm not 
professing you should do that. But I really do think if you uh, are not embracing technology for the organization, again, not just the stuff we've been talking about specific to you know accounting and finance, but the business in general and everything that has to happen within a business. If you're not looking for ways to leverage technology that's going to make you more efficient, more accurate, better, whatever you know term you want to use, I think you're uh, I think you're cheating yourself and you're you're cheating the company you're at. So if you have a fear of technology, if you're a technophobe or whatever the the term is, uh, my advice <laughs> to folks is get over it. I don't know, you know, see an analyst, uh, you know, work through it, whatever you have to do. But uh, technology is your friend. Uh, you have to embrace it. Don't fight it. You know, again, CPAM is going to test, you know, uh, CPAs, uh, people taking the exam, they're going to be tested on it. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's part of society now. I mean, everything you do, I think of some of the personal applications you use, you know, so um, <laughs> just really date myself, but I can remember, you know, hey, hey, mom, how do I, how do you spell this? You know, look it up. You know, now it's just like, uh, hey, Siri, how do you spell something? You know, it's it's even a lot better. And as I just, Siri just came on. So uh, we'll see what she has to say. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I really, uh, I think I have stressed it enough, but to even stress it even further, you need to embrace technology to the furthest degree possible, the furthest extent that you can. And again, you know, I'm not suggesting you should become a developer and all the other aspects of what you do with technology, but, you know, it goes back to my example of walking into Home Depot. If I'm building a deck outside, am I going to go and buy steel or am I going to buy wood and nails? You know, you have to know what you need and then you're going to have to know, hopefully to some degree, how to use it. And maybe you don't know everything, but you can probably find people that can help you get to the uh, the point you want to get to. So, yeah, technology is, if you're running from it now, um, well, I think it was Paul Harvey had a thing where he said, well, the, the outcome is too obvious to require alliteration. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we'll leave it at that. So CFOs are now expected to be tech savvy, strategic, and data-driven, all while fulfilling the traditional finance roles around reporting and financial planning. Obviously, we're a little biased, so we have to we have to ask: um, Are there specific NetSuite features that you think will prove helpful to those trying to succeed in this current version of the CFO role? Uh... Well, yes, Megan, I would say yes, <laughs> <laughs> especially since we work for Oracle NetSuite. But, you know, there are other applications there that can do the same thing. Not as good, but, you know, they're out there. So what are some of the things you should do? You know, I think uh, one of the biggest things that I always get a, uh, a kick out of is when we talk about the monthly close, the period close. And um, I did... Uh, I did an analysis. It might have been a couple of years ago now, so I'm sure the number's higher. But when you go through this analysis, it turns out that uh, on average, 3.4 billion times a year, the books are closed on the face of the earth. And so one might argue that if that's what it, if if 3.4 billion times a year you're closing the books, um, one might argue, how do we get better? Well, I think if you know, looking at you know to get more granular on that, I've been in situations where you go into a company. And their general ledger chart of accounts is uh, it's the size of war and peace. It's unbelievable. 
the amount of accounts that they have. Well, if you take a step back and you think about something for a second, right? Think about a variable equation. And if you have two variables, you know, I mean, it's a challenge, but you could probably solve it. Three, hmm, yeah, maybe, but it gets a little tougher. Four, five, six, you know, it gets exponentially more difficult to solve that equation. I think the same is true of, you know, anything. So when I'm talking about a chart of accounts or a general ledger, think about now that you're closing the books, you got 20 people and they have, you know, 50,000 different accounts to choose from as to where they're going to record journal entries. Well, I would argue you're probably not closing the books all that quickly. So, you know, in some regard, I think the ability for to you use the system, it's a database you can report on to uh, jerry-rig my general ledger now so I can get certain types of reporting. I mean, that's, you know, I would say first and foremost, that alone, I've seen it save considerable or not for organizations that were taking forever to close their um, When you go even further, when we talk about, you know, automation, you know, so as I say, hey, you got two full-time jobs, leverage technology to do, you know, one of the jobs, well, you leverage technology and you do more than one of the jobs, whether it's revenue recognition, you know, imagine having to recognize revenue on 500 different contracts and every contract is different. Well, if I have it mechanized in the system now, just by using the system, I'm, I'm technically able to automate that aspect. When we talk about intercompany journal entries and all of the things that go on that, having the ability to really take intercompany journal entries and do them in real time, no differently you do anything else. So the transaction is settled. You don't have to wait to the end of the month or reconcile all the you know intercompany transactions. Um, I mean, that's ludicrous. Even the, the bank accounts and many things do it this day, but with our automated bank rec, you could literally reconcile the bank statement every day, right? Because banks have electronic information now. You feed that into NetSuite, you press a button. Machine learning, for the most part, will probably reconcile everything. And I love in our examples, I, I think this is the example that's been around since we had technology come to the forefront. I always get a little chuckle out of the one item when they do an automated bank rec that doesn't know, you don't know where to apply it is bank fees. And I, I'm not kidding you, go look at some of the demos, whether it's us or other companies, you'll see that the, the one transaction that the system didn't know where to go was bank fees. You know, But then if you say bank fees go to bank charges or wherever your account is, the next day, if you have more bank charges, you press the button, machine learning knows that, it automatically books it. So the point I bring up is particularly when we're talking about reconciliations, if you're going to wait to the end of the month, those reconciliations, the volume of items you're going to have to research and look at are going to grow. Well, what if you made that part of your, you know, part of my job every day, I'm going to go and going to reconcile the bank account every day. It might take you five minutes as opposed to half a day, a day, two days, uh, depending upon the amount of transactions you have. As a company, and this is just bank reconciliation, ticket or other balance sheet account they have to go through at the end of the month. We've we've just released a thing called NetSuite Account Reconciliation, where think about to some degree almost automating every single one of your balance sheet uh, reconciliations. Um, that in and of itself should expedite the close uh, to a large degree. So you know what I would highly recommend organizations do, particularly when it comes to NetSuite is it's one thing to use the system, but there is a plethora of things that you can do that you can automate that you know might take your close process. And I'm not kidding you when I say this, I've seen companies do it in less than a day. Uh, and I'm not just talking about, oh, that's a five person, you know, $2 million company. I'm talking about a billion dollar organizations. It can be done. So don't limit yourself in that regard. 
That's amazing. So we're coming at the end of our time, unfortunately, but any final advice pieces of advice you want to leave our listeners? Um, I guess I want to leave them with me joke that I, I use quite often. And some of you may have heard of this, but it's uh, uh, don't, don't end up like this. And so the joke goes like this. There's a man, he's at a fair and he's in a balloon and this brisk wind picks up and it blows him way off course. And so he's wood into the countryside. He's over this cornfield and he sees this man walking down the road in the distance. So he lowers the balloon down to about feet and he calls out and he says, excuse me, sir, can you tell me where I am? The man on the road kind of looks up at him in the balloon and says, well, yes, you're in a balloon about 30 feet above this cornfield. And the balloonist is shaking his head and he goes, he goes, you, sir, must be an accountant. And the man on the on the ground says, why? Why, yes, I am. How do you know that? And the balloonist says, well, what you've told me is technically correct, but it's of no use to anyone. And there, that was technically the end of the joke. People would laugh. But then I added this. So the accountant on the ground calls up to the balloonist and says, excuse me, sir, you must be a manager. And the balloonist says, well, yes, I am. How do you know that? And the accountant responds, well, you don't know where you are. You don't know how you've gotten here. You're in the same place you were before we met. You expect my immediate help, but now somehow it's my fault. So I use that I use that joke because as we've been talking about this you know, in this podcast here today, you know, that is a microcosm, I think, of what's gone on over time. So my hope is that all you accounting and financial professionals out there are listening to this. Um, if you're using technology, great. Keep flexing that muscle. Use it more. Uh, use it, uh, you know, uh, strategically and build your expertise in it. And for those of you who are perhaps thinking, you know, technology is a nice to have, you need to change that mindset. It's a must have. And if you embrace it the right way, uh, you can be, you know, extremely successful in what you do day in, day out in your roles. I think I'm going to have all our guests end with a joke now. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> I Just like don't that. tell them I started it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's perfect. Uh, well, that's all the questions I had for you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Megan. Enjoyed it. Take care. That brings us to the end of another great episode. I've worked with Tom for close to four years now at Oracle NetSuite, and he always has such entertaining insight into the CFO role. I thought he made some great points regarding the progression of technology as it relates to the finance team. It's also interesting to hear how his team was using database insights at Pepsi. As Tom says, I, I don't want to date anyone, but it was a bit before data was as big as it is now. So it's fascinating to see the continued importance and its increasing complexity. Big thanks for our guest, Tom, for joining us. And as always, a big thanks to our wonderful editing team over at Lambstand and to all of you for tuning in. If you want more episodes just like this one, make sure you subscribe to our channel and give us a rating and review. Until next time. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.